Hi, I'm Terry. And I'm Seal. We are so excited about <laughs> launching our podcast called Two Scoops, which is designed to empower you to lead a healthier lifestyle. Each episode will provide helpful tips on reframing your thinking and considering new possibilities for your life. Hi, this is Terry Reeves and Seal Smart with two scoops of inspiration. So we are really happy to be here today with Dr. Jonathan Fisher, who very, very credentialed young man. Um, he is a Harvard trained clinical cardiologist and a certified mindfulness meditation teacher. And I do want to say he is passionate. I know him before this interview and he is passionate in helping others care for their hearts both the physical and the emotional. And just a short backstory, Charlton Alicia, who introduced us, mm -hmm. said, Terry, I know you're into mindfulness, yoga, you've got to meet Dr. Fisher. And so we met and we became fast friends. Mm -hmm. And now I'm obsessed with following you on LinkedIn because you <laughs> constantly are posting not just articles, but mm. meaningful research. I mean, really mm. valid information that mm. really helps us take care of ourselves from the inside out mm. with a focus on the heart. Mm. And we thought it would be so awesome to have you as our first guest. It's mm. Heart Month. So we thought let's lead from the heart mm. and let's talk about the affairs of the heart. So mm. welcome to our show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here today to see both of you. Uh, what a pleasure. And I was thrilled when you invited me to come and speak about the heart and the mind and the spirit. And uh, I'm just glad to know you. Thank you. Well, let's get started with some questions we have for you. So mm -hmm. the first question I kind of want to roll right into, how did you discover meditation and yoga? Mm. Well, um, it started like so many people from a place of real suffering. Um, it was about 12 years ago when I was um, in transition. I was in practice in New York City, uh, busy cardiology practice. I would see 30 to 40 patients in the hospital on a weekend, starting in the wee hours of the morning, and then I would work through the week. At the same time, um, one of my best friends, who was also my sister, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. and. At the same time, I was married and I was uh, raising a small child and we were going to be pregnant with our second one. And everything kind of came together to put me in a very, very dark place. Uh, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of stress. Uh, and then we ended up moving to North Carolina and I came to work here and came to work for a healthcare organization and there were new stresses there. I was being measured on my performance and all of these things, and nobody knew what was going on on the inside. Nobody knew that I, I was very unhappy. So I would see two to 3,000 patients a year, and I had to put on a face for everybody because they were looking to me for support and nurturing, and I had a deep inner pain going on. And so I didn't know how to balance that. And so being the overachiever that I have been, I, I Googled, well, how can I make myself happy again? And how can I find this place where I can be there for other people? And part of that answer was something called positive psychology, which is this science that's been going on for 30 years now about how do we find happiness in our lives? How do we find fulfillment? So I dug really deep into that and I read everything I could. And one of the common themes I saw was, well, there's this technique called meditation and mindfulness, which I had never heard of before. So very dutifully, I got online and I Googled, you know, what's the shortest way to learn mindfulness? And there was this thing called eight-minute meditation. And I so sat on my bed every night. I did it for eight minutes. And I was like, this is impossible. I can't keep my mind straight. I've got these thoughts bouncing all over the place. Um, and that was 10, 12 years ago. And um, I fell in love with the practice. Within about a month or two, I noticed some changes in my own thoughts, in my own behavior. I became calmer. Other people noticed some very subtle differences in the way that I was acting and how I wasn't as reactive. So I went on a retreat. Um, I went on another retreat. Um, and then around 2012, I discovered that I wasn't alone in this suffering in healthcare, that there were hundreds and thousands of doctors and nurses and providers and patients who were all suffering from stress. And I said, well, this helped me. Maybe it will help other people. So I started to introduce these concepts. In 2012, I gave what we call a grand rounds in the hospital. So the connection, it was called mindfulness in the heart. 
how do these mind-body techniques literally help reduce the risk of heart disease? And people were interested. Fast forward a couple of years, and now I'm working at a wonderful health organization, uh, Novant, and I'm training executive leadership on how do we use these mind-body techniques to make ourselves more effective leaders. I'm teaching doctors and nurses and other providers. I'm leading half-day retreats and workshops on meditation, mindfulness, and happiness. And I'm practicing with my patients every day. Um, about 60% of my patients are having profound stress, and it's part of why they've gotten some heart conditions, and it's part of why it's hard for them to recover. So I'm adding this extra little technique at the end of my visit where we sit for a minute and we just practice. And I teach them the power of pausing, finding a place of calm. So that's a long story of how I found <laughs> <laughs> meditation amazing. and mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it is, it is so wonderful amazing. to yeah. have um, that deep connection because that's sort of that mm -hmm. intrinsic heart hook that mm. not just a practice, it's, mm. it's a joy. Mm. And to be able to find some relief and to be able to capitalize on that by sharing with others mm -hmm. in terms of paying it forward, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think what may be nice, you know, man mindfulness is showing up mm all over the place now. If I get go through Harris Teeter checkout line one more time, <laughs> mind-body connection, breathing, mindfulness, yeah. meditation, stress management. Can you, and when you're explaining mm -hmm. to, to a novice or someone mm -hmm. that this is new to, in your words, how would you explain mindfulness? Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is a natural skill that we all have. There's nothing special about it. It's a skill, but it's also a tool that you can develop, just like playing the violin or playing a sport. And this skill involves something very simple. And what it involves is paying attention very carefully to everything that's happening in this moment right now. And paying attention in a very specific way. It's not just focusing like a, like a sniper, like, a, like on a target, kind of cold and unfeeling. But it's paying attention in a way that's warm and it's accepting. It says that whatever's happening right now, I can be with this. And I can be aware of it. And I can notice when my mind starts to jump to conclusions and tell stories and jump to the future and worry and jump to the past and think about, well, what did I do yesterday? It's the skill that allows me to come back to this moment over and over again in a way that doesn't judge what's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's more compassion. Mm. How can I sit in my thoughts without judgment mm. and feel from mm. the inside out what mm. I'm experiencing and really have self-compassion? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I teach um, yoga and have for 20 years mm -hmm. and meditation and mindfulness and, and trying to integrate mindfulness, not just in these moments of meditation and pause, but mm. how can I move through life with greater awareness, mm. eating more slowly, mm. being more intentional and present in conversations, mm. literally waking up and being more aware in each moment so that I can cherish and mm. I can be more alert and I can be more aware of what I'm experiencing, feeling, and and almost show up mm. in a way that is more intentional and giving that same kind of attention to the people around me mm. so that there's a deeper connection, not just this fast forward, check the box, mm. follow the to-do list. We just had that conversation, see you. We just had that meeting, check it off the to-do list. How can we really go into even group dynamics and take a deep breath together and mm -hmm. create an intention for a meeting and get really clear on what our goals and objectives are and mm. turn the cell phones off and breathe together. Coming into this space where we, we really get grounded and more and more organizations are doing that. And mm -hmm. you mentioned Novant mm -hmm. and you have 20,000 employees mm -hmm. and to integrate this initiative of mindfulness, mm. can you share a little bit about the tools and things that you're championing to really change an organization that's that large. I'm happy to. There's great work that's being done in healthcare today, and especially at Novant right now, to try to develop a culture of deep connection, a deep connection at all levels, from the executive leadership to the management to the staff and even the patients. And so when I look at an organization and I say, well, how can I change the nature of healthcare, this system that I love so much, the one that I learned from my father. My father's 93 years old. He was a good old-fashioned town doctor in Livingston, New Jersey. He ran blood samples in our basement. He did stress tests in the basement, and people would come to our house, or he would even go on those old-fashioned house calls. And so this is a little bit of a backstory about why this is so important to me. Um, I've got six brothers and sisters, and we all became doctors. 
we became doctors because oh we <laughs> yeah we, we saw what my dad was doing and we saw the example that he set and also my mom's example she was a physicist and a scientist and we wanted to give back to other people we wanted to help heal and to help spread information and to be a source of support for other people and so that's what I grew up with and then when I discovered that our modern healthcare system didn't look like this old Norman Rockwell picture where you'd go and you'd get your lollipop. I saw that there were a lot of things that are broken about our healthcare system, and I felt it. I felt it in my own anxiety and burnout. And so when I realized that there was a potential to bring some of these healing techniques to myself and to my partners, I looked at an organization and I saw three levels. I see there's an executive leadership level, I see there's kind of a middle level, which includes all staff, managers, even providers. And then I see the level of, their, of our patients, which is what it's all about. I'm a patient myself. I've had medical conditions. I've gone to doctors and nurses, and I've experienced the difference between somebody who's with you and somebody who's not with you. And I've experienced coldness, and I've experienced warmth. And so when I, in my mind, thought, well, how can we change a system? I said, well, let's keep it simple. We've got three levels. And so over the last two years, I've led over 35 programs for over 2,000 individuals. And those have been at all three levels. So on the executive side, I'm now part of the learning and development for the executive leadership. It's called Next Level Leadership. And I teach them about what you talked about, this concept of mindful presence. How can I leave everything behind when I walk in this door? How can I be fully here with both of you so that we can come together and decide what's most important right now? leaving all my baggage aside. Um, and so that's one of the powers of a leader. And as you know, Terry, you know a lot about leadership. And there are so many skills and traits that leaders have. I think the core one is the ability to be fully present and fully compassionate and empathic. And so I bring that in. Um, and then on the second level, it's how do we help our managers dealing with stress? How do we help our teams who are having dysfunction? And then how do we help our providers who are suffering from this crisis of burnout? Uh, and there I'm leading these retreats, so half-day retreats, one hour, two hour. Um, this coming Thursday, I was invited to Rowan Regional Medical Center by the head of intensive care nursing to speak to their entire nursing staff about, they said it's about um, care and love, and so I'm going to be speaking about the science and the art of compassion and how we're missing compassion in healthcare and how we can bring it back and how it starts with compassion for ourselves and talking about the science of compassion. So that's one example. And then we talked a little bit about how do we bring it to our patients. And that's where techniques have been around for 40 years called mindfulness-based stress reduction. And that was then developed into something called mindfulness-based compassion training. And there's a whole science of cultivating compassion. And then mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So this whole what's called the third wave of psychology is based in mindfulness. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking to um, ways to introduce that to our whole community, the Charlotte community and even beyond. How does stress lead to heart disease? So how does that can kind of mm -hmm. go from, you know, to the science side now? It just sounds like you're dealing with a lot of stressed out people. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And it's it could be at the topic of of a 10 part series <laughs> on stress. <laughs> um, stress is the crisis of our time right now. And the first question is, what do we even mean when we talk about stress? So people use that term, I'm stressed out. Well, first of all, stress isn't necessarily a bad thing. Stress is just a force. It's an outside stimulus that's happening. It could be good, it could be bad. I think what most people today mean when they talk about stress is they mean distress. There's this emotional feeling that something's not right, that I can't handle what's going on. So when I hear the word stress and people say I'm, I'm feeling it, what I hear them to be saying is, there's something going on in my life right now, either outside or inside, that I don't believe I can handle in a way where I feel balanced. So that's what stress is to me. That's distress. The opposite of that is a good form of stress. So when you're getting ready for this podcast, you felt a little excited, right? There was a little bit of stress there, but that's what's called eustress, which means good stress. And that's the kind of stress that you can take and you can transform into something amazing, right? And it really is a matter of your attitude. Do you believe you're up to the task? So getting that out of the way, then we look at, well, why is stress important? So the science right now says that of all people who go to the doctor, 60 to 70% of them have conditions relating to emotional distress. Okay? And so what we want to look at is, well, how does emotional stress lead to conditions in the body? 
because we know that stress can lead to heart disease, it can lead to memory issues, it can lead to inflammation, bowel disorders, asthma, skin disorders, rheumatologic, autoimmune disorders, you name it. So with that said, what we do is we look at the starting point. And the starting point is in the mind. And in the mind, there is an emotional system. It's called the limbic system. And part of that limbic system involves an activation. So if something is scary happening, either on the outside or if I have a memory or a thought that's happening, the first warning bell comes in this place called the amygdala, which most people have heard of. And that's kind of like the brain's warning system that rings a bell and says, danger, alert, there's something bad about to happen. And from there, there are two pathways that connect the mind and the body. There's something that's called the hypothalamus pituitary axis, which then leads to increased cortisol, which is a steroid coming from the glands above the kidney. That leads to inflammation, and a lot of our chronic disease relate to that. And the second pathway relates to the nerves coming from the brain, what's called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Together, it's called the autonomic nervous system. And a lot of what we know now from how stress causes disease is an imbalance between the parasympathetic, which is the relaxation system, and the sympathetic system, which is the activation system. And so putting it all together, those two pathways, the immune, cortisol, stress, inflammation, and then the high levels of adrenaline activate to cause constriction of our blood vessels, inflammation in our blood vessels, an increased tendency towards blood clots, and activation of our intestinal system, secretion of acid, an increase in our breathing, which creates a sensation of distress in our body, which and then our mind starts to think, uh-oh, something's wrong, I'm breathing fast. <laughs> And it creates a cycle where our brain starts to squirt out more of these hormones and nerve signals to our body to make our heart beat faster, raise our blood pressure, and then again our mind loves a to make stories. Cycle. A yeah. cycle. It's a vicious cycle. And it makes up a story and it says, oh my gosh, a moment ago there was this small thing going on, a little stress, but now my body is responding. And so much of our distress, science is showing, is a misinterpretation of signals coming from our own body. And this is part of panic disorders and anxiety, and breaking that cycle has to do with reinterpreting or really not interpreting the wrong way of the signals coming from our body and outside. You're changing like even my viewpoint of doctors because your demeanor, the way that you're breaking things down and for anyone to really truly understand and I have mm. mad appreciation for that because mm. I think that it can be very intimidating. Mm. So even thinking of you coming in as a cardiologist mm. and mm. for what you do for people and now that you're taking it steps further mm. and helping them not just from the physical aspect but just mental health and well-being like mm. uh, this is really like this is really empowering information mm. and just really appreciate like the science and all of it to back mm. it but really appreciate thank what you. you're talking about well thank and you and i think what is um wonderful about your work is you really are pioneering not all doctors unfortunately are cut from the same mold mm. and have this holistic approach nor even the awareness and the science behind the good news is i think more people are waking up to the importance of sort of an integrated medicine approach mm. mind body and spirit how can we treat the whole person mm. and not just the symptom mm. and recognizing in the way you expressed yourself and the ability to go out and champion this cause for other doctors mm. other caregivers other nurses just helps to plant the seed and things grow it's this collective consciousness so my hope is that the whole healthcare system begins to look at prevention and health rather than sick care and reactionary care mm. and we're going to have always both sides of those mm -hmm. there's no way to get around it but it would be nice to see the wave shift so that we can give people tools and we can create the awareness mm. so that we can have healthier lives and and, and deal with stress in a more proactive way because I believe we can truly transform healthcare. Mm. I think we can transform lives and it's people like you mm. that are willing to get out there and champion something that is new and a little mm. bit different and mm. people don't like change mm. and it creates disruption and it sometimes changes the way that people are paid and compensated. So it, it rattles the cage a little bit and I believe that great change requires people to take that leap mm. 
and to not be fearful and it's just so great to see you in this space having such not just a a heart focused doctor but a heart led human being mm. and so thank you and I, I echo what you just said thank you. seal for sure um, well if thank you for that um, what I really would like to do is to sort of place my work in a context uh, and to say that even though what I'm doing here is a little bit on the edge for the Charlotte community and it feels like on the edge um, I'm where I am because of so many teachers and guides coming before me and I owe everything that I know and I'm learning and and my learning is just beginning even though it's going on for the last 10 to 15 years I'm literally feel like I'm at the very beginning stages right now uh, this comes um, what they say on the shoulders of giants and so for 40 years in America leaders like Andrew Weil who was in Charlotte two months ago and I got to meet him um, he's been advocating for this mind and body and behavior for so long uh, Dean Ornish uh, in the cardiology world so um, even though much of this is new, much of this is old, and if we want to get really old, mindfulness itself came from a, an Indian text 2,600 years ago uh, called Instruction on Mindfulness, and that wasn't the word. It was, a, it was an ancient word from the Pali language. And so I think it's really kind of cool to think about well, yeah, a lot of this is cutting edge, and we have to prove the return on investment and look at the finances and how do we change health care and look at all these things. But if we step back, this is as old as, old as time. Right. The wisdom that our mind is not separate from our body and that we've forgotten. We've forgotten that our mind is connected with our body and that our body is our mind. Right. And our heart is part of our mind. And our gut is part of our mind. If you say thinking with your gut, you literally do think with your gut. Often we live our lives cut off. It's like we're cut off at the head. And I can speak from my own experience as a serious nerd and a serious student, like getting into Harvard. How did I do that? I studied all the time. And I, I lived a lot of my life in my head. And it was a very cold place to be. And only with the pain that I went through and loss and personal questions about what's the purpose of my life. I thought I was going to be a this old-timey doctor like my dad, it doesn't look like that, and I lost my best friend, I started to feel this pain in my heart, and I realized that as I learned to feel that pain, I started to feel some joy, too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think about the iceberg, and you see the tip of the iceberg, and it's sort of like that's what I see, and that's what I'm thinking about, and living in your head, and all of this, the body, the heart, is frozen. And when we start to thaw, mm. sometimes what we feel is is unusual it's uncomfortable sometimes but mm. I believe in that thawing and that waking up mm. is where a real joy mm. real life begins to unfold for us and you mentioned giants I mean you we can go back and attribute there's just so many great people John Kabat-Zinn mm. I mean just so many great teachers out there and thank goodness for those people keeping the text mm. that's that old alive those concepts alive mm -hmm. and I love the fact that the world is beginning to wake up and there's more light being shown and whether this person did it or that person it's not a matter of either or it's both and it's mm. the aggregation of all of us you know seal you're into health and well-being I know I'm passionate about it mm. is how can we keep sharing this message of living in your whole body taking care of yourself from the inside out mm. and encouraging people to pause and process just mm. a little bit slower breathe a little bit deeper and just feel mm. the moment don't detach it's so well said terry uh, when i hear you talk about that it it really leads me back to a question that i often find myself asking when you talk about change and leading and all of these things i come back to the question well why is it so hard to do that yeah and it, it has to do with the fear of change, and it also has to do with the stigma about certain things that go on in our hearts and our minds that we don't want to talk about. Anxiety, depression, burnout, mental illness. These are things that our society feels uncomfortable speaking about. And I feel strongly that the more comfortable we become speaking about these things that we all feel but we don't all want to talk about, the more we can do that, the more healing that can happen. And until we open up our hearts and feel safe, the challenge is that in order to speak about these things, we have to have a sense of trusting ourselves. And we have to recognize that there's a fear of rejection. 
when I tell you that I'm ashamed of certain behaviors that I've done in the past or even doing today if I yell at my kids or something like that, when I talk to you about that, I have to be comfortable that I won't be rejected, that I still belong, and that I am human, even though we often, with Facebook and Instagram, there's a lot of pretending. There's a lot of false images that we put out there. And so it's interesting to step back and say, well, how much of this do we perpetuate ourselves when we create this perfect external persona when really what we want to do is we want to share what's deeper in our hearts? Uh, I see emotions as a package deal. Yeah. It's a package deal. And without being willing to be a little bit honest about the stress that we're all under and talk about how difficult it is and not being perfect all the time, without being able to do that, we can't experience those deep joys, that real love, that real connection with other people. How can I connect with you if I don't really know what's going on inside? And we're in a society right now that's in a crisis. It's a crisis of distrust and disconnection. And so part of this work of healing is if, if you come to see me in the clinic and you're having a heart problem, or if you're not and you're worried you are, if I just look at, well, what test can I do and how can I get you in and how can I get you out? I'm not even scratching the surface of what's causing so much of our problem today in the Western world and even in Europe right now. And that is this crisis of disconnection of our spirits. And so big picture, we all want to look at ourselves and say, what's keeping me separate from other people? Can you think about courage and how can that courage live with compassion? Mm. And I think those two things working together can tame that fear to a degree but there has to be um, a shift of not just accepting your own shadow, but being comfortable and other people having more compassion so we can step into that shadow together. And I think that's the collective consciousness and I think that's the community. Mm. And I think if we begin to work like-minded people together, we can create more light because the darkness shouldn't be feared it's where great growth can happen it's just how can we teach people to walk into the darkness mm. and not be afraid and sometimes just helping people through that process mm -hmm. allows the courage to begin to build and then the compassion in creating that safe space and it is really how can we reteach leaders that can affect change how can we introduce this concept of compassion and courage into the school system how can we take it into the prisons for for all that matters i mean how can we take it into health care because caregivers have this great opportunity mm. i mean they're the portal to health often the first stop mm. and if they are not mirroring compassion and this different way of holistically treating we're missing probably one of the greatest opportunities mm. so i'm glad you're you're, you're out there spreading well, the good news. Well, I feel very fortunate to, to be able to speak about this and to have had enough people along my way help me through this, uh, help me through my own difficulties so I can get to a place where I can share the information. And I like what you said, Terry, about um, the applications are so broad right now for mindfulness and compassion. Uh, there isn't uh, an aspect of our society that isn't potentially benefited here, um, particularly in healthcare and military and education, even in uh, athletics, um, high performance athletics, peak performance, executive leadership. Um, the way that I see it from my lens is healthcare has the word care in it. And what we're talking about is how do we care for each other? And can we in healthcare, again, take on that great responsibility of setting the example for the rest of the world? Can we show the rest of the world, how do you really care again? Yeah. And you know, from my lens, and having done this work in helping organizations create healthier cultures, and you know, it starts at the individual level, and it's certainly in the, in the team dynamic, and then how do you get the enterprise-wide hmm. buy-in, and how can we really begin to shift consciousness? And taking on an entire healthcare system is a, is a great undertaking, but a, but what a, what a beautiful opportunity mm. to begin to create more mindfulness within, like you said, we are the first line of defense often, and if we can't mirror it, who can? And I'm beginning to see more conversations within executive ranks, the C-suite, if you will, more conversations in the boardroom about how can we take care of the most important asset in our organization, and that is the employee and how can we make them more productive, but not about let's raise the quota, let's 
change the compensation. Let's see how much they can sell. Let's see if we can help them become a healthier human being. Because mm. if they're healthier and they're happier, they're going to be more engaged. Performance will go up as a result of that. Retention, hopefully, when you're working for an employer that acts and treats through action that they care, there's stickiness. There's a greater level of stickiness. And I, I truly believe that more organizations are recognizing that very important piece, which has been missing in the equation, that human element. And OD, the work I do, is it's not just Six Sigma and Lean and let's create efficiencies and operational, you know, we want to get rid of redundancies. Let's look into the heart of our organization. How can we galvanize people? How can we create a common vision and mission? How can we create this sense of pride and I'm excited for the organization that I work for and I believe in what we're doing in the world and guess what I'm particularly happy that you are providing me tools and support so that I can manage this stress because 42% of people leave jobs because of stress. 80% mm -hmm. of people say that stress from their job is really creating anxiety. So when you see these numbers in the research supporting it is nice for an organization to go you know what we need to do something about that. And if we don't teach people how to do it, how are they going to learn? And so I'm loving the fact that organizations are taking on that responsibility. Not all of them, but certainly smart, what I'd call more progressive, forward-thinking organizations are making space and time for um, things to be provided that truly are helping people manage their lives better. Not just, not just their, their workload, but their lives, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's past just being at work. It goes to, goes to home. Yeah. And I think just from the perspective that I'm coming from as far as individuals and training people and coaching people from mm. the physical aspect and realizing like when people even set goals for themselves, right, to be healthier, to lose weight, all of that, mm. it still comes back to their mind. It still comes back to their heart. Like that's where the root of it. It's like if you haven't made that change in your heart and you mm. haven't set that in your mind, you're not gonna reach the goals that you wanna go after. So opening up this door for conversation and for people to be able to expose and be vulnerable and you know, really get down to the root of the problem is what is what's making change. And so I just from even that perspective, like this is it's amazing to see it's not just happening in the workplace, but it's also happening with individuals. So I just, again, this is an amazing conversation. I think it's gonna be very impactful um, on all levels. And I wanted to give a shout out to UCL. She does a lot of great work in the community, really personally training folks and um, really been doing that for quite a while. And we were talking about how important it is not when somebody comes in and they say, I wanna lose weight, or I wanna get into this dress because it's my skinny black dress. Mm -hmm. And all of these cosmetic driven goals, which are very extrinsic. Mm -hmm. And so we've been talking about how important it is to get people to really figure out what is my true motivation. Mm -hmm. Isn't it really about your health and happiness and mm -hmm. being being there for your family and your kids and mm -hmm. and creating an, an, a deeper intention for the weight loss, creating a mm -hmm. deeper intention for wanting to build muscle mass. And all those goals are fine and great, but if they're not with a deeper heartfelt connection, mm -hmm. and just almost um, in each in the sessions you and I were talking about, is before we even start, is let's get the person pausing and breathing, connected in that moment before you start personal training. Mm -hmm. Let's create an intention for this training. And that's very revolutionary. I, I don't know mm -hmm. many trainers that, that, that do that kind mm -hmm. of work. Well, and I guess the part with that that's been really important is I'm more of a beginner from the mindfulness side. So I've been a physical, like in the physical fitness world for, mm -hmm. for more than 20 years mm -hmm. and everything was always based on the physical, you know, working out and eating right and all of that. Mm -hmm. And really it was a very separate thing and mindfulness and meditation and yoga was like in this, in mm -hmm. a box over here. Mm -hmm. And then you've got regular fitness regimen right. and, and, and eating right over here. And now I've really started to integrate that and it's by surrounding myself with people like Terry that have, um, have such a, a, a broader perspective and it's even opened me up to like, wow, like mm -hmm. this is gonna take me to another level and it's gonna allow me to even for myself become healthier and happier and be more clear-headed and focused with mm -hmm. and, and going into things with intention. Well, it's, it's funny you talk about that. The role of mindfulness in sport and peak performance is a fascinating history and it goes back again about 50 years. Um, this 
ultimate state of athletics is this flow state, right? Where you're totally immersed in what you're doing. You're not really overly thinking things. You're not choking because you're not worrying about what's happening. You're focusing kind of the, the experience itself and it's incredibly enjoyable. And this goes back to this field of positive psychology. A scientist named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi wrote a book called Flow about 30 years ago where he described this. And over the last 30 years, if you look at professional sports and athletics and training, this is now becoming fully integrated. Looking at the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, like Pete Carroll, part of his training of his athletes is meditation and mindfulness and yoga. If you look at Phil Jackson from the basketball world, uh, world you look at any uh, Olympic athlete now, mindfulness, meditation, visualization practices is part and parcel of their training because that impacts their performance, just like you were saying. You know, you think about the word flow, and I think it's kind of to demystify that to any of the listeners and liken it to how we might feel. If you've ever had a day where everything just goes really well and you feel in your body connected and everything just, the breath is good, the focus is good, and you're just in the zone, and it's really trying to find that type of equanimity every day, not just on the basketball court or on the football field, although in the flow and in the zone can get you to the Super Bowl. And mindfulness and all of these practices we are talking about, meditation and yoga, are wonderful practices to complement that. But even in our own lives is how can we wake up in the morning and just find flow in our day? How can we move through life a bit more mindfully mm -hmm. so that we can end up really in a state that when we get home, we don't have to decompress for, a, for an hour. We actually walk in our, can you imagine leaving work and walking home or walking in your front door and exhaling but feeling like you didn't even have to because you were staying in that state all day long. And it's a hard state to stay in. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a constant. <laughs> I, I would say I, it's impossible. It is impossible. <laughs> it, you would be dead. If You'd have right. to be <laughs> sitting in a cave somewhere. Because uh, that's not yeah. the way life rolls. Yeah. But it's learning yeah. how do you manage the chaos because you're yeah. right. I mean, we are sensory yeah. overloaded, connected 24-7 with computers and phones mm -hmm. and the world just doesn't sleep. Well, this, Terry, gets into the practice of how do you do this in the real world? How do you do this? And that's kind of where it gets really fun, which is how do you take all this theory and these ideas? Okay, give me the no-nonsense. What do I do to get into this state of flow that's supposedly really fun to be in and you really loving and touchy-feely? Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> So, and that's where the science really helps out because there's been a lot of different protocols and different techniques from positive psychology and mindfulness. And the first thing I would say about that is that what works for me might not work for you, but there's kind of like this toolbox, there's this menu. And if we can offer a large menu to people of techniques, and we can discuss some if you want, um, everybody's got their own background, their own upbringing, their own levels of trust, security, insecurity. And so we want to find what works for us in our own life. Some of us have kids, some of us don't. Uh, some of us have very little time in the day and we're incredibly busy. And yet it's still possible to find techniques that work. And so um, with that being said, for me, the, the goal, if you will, is to get as much of that presence and compassion during the day as possible so that I'm uplifted with my day and that I'm not sort of dealing, digging myself out from the stress of seeing thousands of patients every year in life and death situations. How do you deal with that? And it starts, like you said, at the very first moment you open your eyes in the morning. How many of us reach over and grab our phone? I did this yesterday. I reached over my phone, I checked uh, social media, even though I know I'm supposed <laughs> to be the expert and I'm not doing it right. And yet, a lot of the time I do remember I do remember my intention, which is to wake up, open my eyes, and take a deep breath that I'm fully aware of in that moment. And I notice whether I'm starting to worry about the day, whether I'm starting to regret something from the day before, and I bring myself back to that moment and to my body. And I say, today, I'm going to live in my body because that's where my joy comes from, it's where my pleasure comes from, and it's also where earliest signs of stress are gonna come from, so I can become aware. Oh, I'm shrugging my shoulders again. Uh, my jaw is really tight during the day, and I can do micro adjustments. So for me, it starts the first thing in the morning, and I, what I try to do is I cr try to create a chain of mindful moments during the day, from the first time I wake up in the morning to the time I go to bed at night. And that may be a, a reminder once an hour to take a deep breath, 
or I have a little hourglass on my desk at work. I turn it over, it's three minutes, and I say, I'm just going to focus on my breathing. Or I'm going to become aware of whatever thoughts are coming and going and notice how I'm relating to my thoughts. Uh, or, for example, when I'm going to see a patient, before every patient, I knock on the door. I use that as an alarm bell for me, the knocking on the door, the sensation on my knuckle, the sound in my ear. Wake up. There's a person behind that door. Who do I want to be when I walk into this room right now? And am I being that person? Um, this is the way the mind works, is the mind forgets. Over and over, it forgets, it gets caught up. And so part of this practice, part of this way of being is giving ourselves reminders. It's so important, and you know this from sort of changing behaviors and whatnot. I mean, so much of this is we get into our old habits and our old ways. Um, it's an interesting, it makes me think that one of the original definitions or translations of the word mindfulness is remindfulness. And it's really about remembering. It's not something that happens automatically. Yes, our brain changes. The more we do this, every moment, every week, literally, and we can discuss this now or another time, the changes that happen on MRI scans in our brain with these practices, the more we do that, it becomes more second nature. But there's still this human part of us where the mind wanders, and the mind judges. And this is, we are, we're, we're primates, we're mammals, and this is the way the mind works. It will never stop working that way, and yet we have a higher or a frontal part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that allows us to set these intentions, that allows us to remember who do we want to be in the future, and allows us to create an image of ourselves. Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? Um, and so I, I find it fascinating to think about the different aspects of our evolving brain and where we are today and how we got here, um, and how we can rewire our brain by hacking into the system and reminding ourselves of who we really want to be. I could keep you here for one more hour <laughs> and literally dive straight into the brain. Because there's so much No, radio. no, and I'm going, okay, you threw it out. This could be for another podcast. I heard that, and I'm grabbing it. Because I honestly... Jonathan, I do think, and you know, there's there's people that are more practical, pragmatic, they want the facts, and then there's us that live in our bodies, and I'm like, oh, it feels good to me, I don't need the science, and the combination of both. Mm. I do think it would be fascinating for you to come in and sort of walk us through the, the way the, the brain works, mm. and then how the techniques are shifting the brain, increasing gray matter, affecting the central nervous system, all the things that are going on behind the scenes that are research and evidence-based. I'd be happy to, sure. And then, of course, we can bring it back to what's real and is going to be relatable and how we can integrate it into our whole lives mm -hmm. or our, our real lives. Mm -hmm. I guess we have fake lives and real lives, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're having yeah. a real life right now. Virtual life Virtual and real life. life. I don't, yeah. know, don't even yeah. get me started with that. But one thing I wanted to mention, and, and I'd love for you to share one too, and then we'll kind of wrap up, but... I was thinking as you were talking about how do you integrate mindfulness into your day and there's a couple of things that I do that I want to share and I and I wanted you to maybe share too is when I get up in the morning I have an alarm that is not a loud obnoxious alarm it's a soft quiet alarm because the last thing I want is this jolting rock 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 because that's gonna like immediately hit your nervous system and create anxiety and what I've started to do I always hit the snooze button and I go back to sleep for eight minutes, but not anymore. This past year, what I do with that eight minutes of snooze is I do nothing but breathe. And I think about, I scan my body and, and, and it has been a, a life changing for me. And I'm like, how, how did I wake up? How do I feel mentally, physically, emotionally? Body scan, where's their tightness energetically to how do I feel? From, a, from an emotional standpoint, how am I waking up? And what, what might be triggering that, to your point, is what I am feeling true. The physical sensation, probably higher probability, but the mental piece can sometimes take you down a rabbit hole and you're like, okay, wait a second, let me govern that and let me just try to either reframe it or, 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 or sift through it, do introspection and just be with my own thoughts and have compassion. And, you know, of course, the breath work, I'm doing this because I'm a yogi and that's the way we roll. <laughs> and so that also helps to kind of level set. And that has been a tremendous game changer for me. The other thing that I do is when I'm transitioning between meetings and I'm in my car mm. is I do not turn on the phone and I do not turn on the, well, 
I do turn on the phone, but I try to stay off of it. And then I turn off the radio and I really breathe. As I'm driving, I'm thinking about shoulders relaxed, what's tense, I just need to breathe. Mm. So that when I arrive on the other end, I am in a, more grounded. Mm. And that's those two small things, besides physically doing yoga, which is a whole nother podcast, mm. um, have been, been um, I can just feel, I can just feel mm. the tremendous impact that they've had on my life. How about you, Seal? Anything that you're noticing? Yeah, so I have two things that I've incorporated this year, uh, started in January. One is I have a gratitude box. So every morning I have these, a stack of index cards. And so that's a way for me to kind of set the pace for my day, is to sit down and write, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? Just to kind of go ahead and position my mind that way, because then it really does set me up taking that even if it's like a minute or three minutes or five minutes some mornings are longer than others and the other piece uh, that I've been working on is pausing before I respond to anything because I'm I've been in the past a very much of a yes person or yeah I'll be there or I can do it or you know any of those types of things and I'm really learning to pause and think about before I respond to somebody how doesn't this not only just affect me but how does this affect my family how does this affect my job? How does this affect, you know, because there, there's more involved than just me responding with a yes. Uh, or responding to somebody that, you know, whether it's a client or somebody that needs something right away, like just learning to pause. And so those are just two things for me um, that I'm, I'm working on. So, and it's been helpful. Mm -hmm. We talked in our last part, one of our podcasts about um, the power in the pause mm. and how valuable it is of a technique to just pause, breathe, process, and then proceed with greater intention. And just as like stop, drop, and roll. It's something easy to remember, pause, process, and proceed. And sometimes the proceed may be doing nothing for a while and just letting things be. We don't always have to do, and that could be a third podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I would love, and I, I'm going to ask you on the spot, because we have two two questions that we would like to ask you. One mm. is kind of silly, mm. and the other is how can we summarize this podcast in two scoops, like the two scoops, bottom line on top, mm. for the folks out there that have heard probably, like, I don't know, 150 things mm -hmm. that may be powerful. The two most powerful things you would like to leave us with but before we hit you with that hard question we're going to ask you the simple one what's your favorite ice cream oh my <laughs> gosh I one. love ice cream I love it anything with chocolate oh you sound like seal uh, anything yeah, with I chocolate was, right? I was anything. at Kilwin's uh, last weekend and I had the Kilwin's Rocky Road or Moose Tracks kind of a thing like chocolate peanut butter caramel fudge but you know my wife's favorite is strawberry my father's favorite is pistachio it's like a big joke at work every day where we hand in our billing at the end of the day um, Mary works there and they had like one of these old fashioned sliding windows, you know, at the doctor's office. Yeah. And we have this joke for the last few years where instead of like saying, here's my building, I say, Mary, what's the ice cream flavor of the day? <laughs> That's perfect. I love, I love that. that. Yes. See, we yeah. love the whole ice cream thing. That was part yeah. of our two scoops is we just didn't want life to be so rigid. I mean, for God's when sake, I, you know, just yeah. throw caution to the wind every once in a while. I love have it. Some ice cream. When I think about happiness and uh, living a good life, I think about ice cream. <laughs> It's very, it's very ordinary, but you that's it. Ice cream, yeah. you all scream for ice cream. Yeah. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. So, before we let you slide out of here, we want to still get, put you on the hook for the for the two scoops. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask you how people can find you. Mm -hmm. So I can be found on Instagram as Happy Heart MD with an MD at the end. And, <laughs> and then uh, on LinkedIn, I am my name, Jonathan Fisher, M-D-F-A-C-C. As doctors, we always need more initials, right? So F-A-C-C. Uh, yeah. So but Jonathan Fisher, M-D-F-A-C-C. You'll find me or Happy Heart M-D. High level. Mm. You have to leave us with two powerful messages. Mm. Um, I would say that the first message is that um, if we remember that we're all suffering in some way, and the person in front of you has their own history of suffering and, and breaks and cracks and sensitive parts, we can then 
remember to bring some kindness and compassion to other people. And the second part is, in order to really do that, we have to start by bringing some kindness and compassion to our own hearts, which have their own broken places, and to start to let some of the light into those places, which is the place of healing, and ultimately it's the place of real power, that vulnerability. So I just can't not mention your mission is to help heal our healthcare system and our world one heart at a time and amen to that I mean amen to that so I mean I think Seal and I are both like staring at you going keep talking because this has been <laughs> fabulous fascinating fun and such important such an important conversation for the world here and that's what's so great mm. about the podcast is you know we can only touch the people that we see in front of us mm. and how can we reach a bigger audience how can we push this message out how can mm. we share the good news and the podcast i mean this is one of our life's missions as well well thank you for the amazing work both of you are doing i think it's so important that you're spreading the message of health and wellness and taking care of ourselves and taking care of our minds and our hearts and you're doing so much for our community uh in just having this podcast and all the good information so i really support you thank, thank you. you so much yeah. for being on with us yeah. today so you want yeah. to take us home and Tell folks how they can find. Yes, so you can find us on Two Scoops of Inspiration on Facebook and Instagram. Feel free to, to reach out to us. Let us know, you know what you've been thought about this podcast, what, even with questions. Come back with questions that we can uh, bring back uh, to Dr. Fisher. Mm -hmm. Email. What's our email? Our email is twoscoopsofinspiration at gmail.com. So any questions, any ideas, we're not doing this for ourselves, y'all. We love it. There's great joy in giving. But we really want to make sure the things that we're speaking about and folks that we're inviting in are resonating with you and that are that are meaningful because time and energy are short. So thank you guys. And we're signing off. It is Terry and Seal with Two, Two Scoops, Scoops of, of Inspiration. inspiration.